Hello, Renoites listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of Renoites. My name is Connor McQuivy. I'm your host, as always. Good to have you here with me. This week on the podcast, I am speaking with Judge Christopher Hazlett-Stevens. He is the judge presiding over the Reno Municipal Court System's Community Court, which I had not heard of until recently, but it's a court program designed largely for our unhoused population to get services rather than criminal punishments. Really interesting program. It's at the library instead of the courthouse, and I learned a ton about how it works, why it works, how it functions as an alternative to traditional criminal justice systems. Really, really great conversation, and I'm so grateful for the judge for coming on the show. Before we get to the interview, a little bit of exciting news from DJ Trivia. We have two new venues that just began last week. Starting now, you can play DJ Trivia at Hukava in downtown Reno and at Record Street Brewing. Hukava is on Wednesday nights, Record Street Brewing on Thursday nights. But that's not all. We have venues all over town, Sunday through Thursday. If you go to DJTriviaNevada.com, you can see all the places that you can play DJ Trivia. Find one near you. Find a host that you like. I host several nights a week at some of my favorite venues in town. So go play DJ Trivia. Follow them on Instagram at DJ Trivia Nevada and find the location nearest you at DJTriviaNevada.com. If you're looking for the best place to find local news, I cannot highly recommend enough thisisreno.com. This is Reno is my go-to local news site. They cover a lot of stuff that you're not going to see in the local newspaper or on the TV news. It's really important to have local reporting here in town to let us know what's going on around important issues, things that really matter to the city. And this is Reno does that. So find them on social media. I follow them on Instagram and Facebook. This is Reno.com. And also you can subscribe to their newsletter, get the headlines in your mail every day. It's a really good way to make sure you understand what's happening in our town and not miss out on any of the most important stories. And now this week's guest, Judge Christopher Hazlett-Stevens. Judge Christopher Hazlett-Stevens, welcome to Renoites. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Connor, I really appreciate you having me and uh, talking about community court this morning. I, it's, it's a great opportunity and I'm glad we're going to get some exposure for Reno's community court. Yeah, I think it's a great program. So I think the best place to start with these kind of topics that people might not know anything at all about is just an explanation of what the community court is. So there's a variety of specialty courts. I've heard of like drug court. I know there's, I think, a veterans court. So there's, I think, eight or nine, or there's a bunch of different community, not community courts, a bunch of specialized courts. So can you talk about what the community court is and kind of how it fits into that world of alternative courts? Yeah, I appreciate that. And it is slightly different than the typical specialty court or treatment court orientation or or paradigm that we're used to. This is a problem-solving court, and it is different than the alternative. uh, It's an alternative to uh, the traditional criminal justice system. And it targets, and it is specifically targeted for our homeless population. So it is a problem-solving court that meets the needs of our homeless population so that we can get them back on their feet. So it targets our resources directly at this population and its on-site services with the providers that we have on-site. Now, it's different than treatment courts. Treatment courts uh, typically have drug testing provisions, and they have this uh, phased approach to what they do. Maybe phase one, they have to meet every week. Phase two, they meet, meet every other week. And in that, they have uh, mental health treatment and substance abuse treatment, and that's that kind of their approach that they take. 
community court is different in that we don't have that capacity. We don't test people for drugs and alcohol, but drugs and alcohol counseling is a part of our court if the individual needs it. But maybe they don't need it. Maybe they need other access to other services that can get them back on their feet. And so we just take a different approach to the quality of life crimes that typically associate with the homeless population here in Reno. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I understand you do is you call it individualized justice. So can you talk a little bit about what that means? Is there like specific programs for specific people? Are there case managers? What does the individualized part of that look like? Yeah, everybody's different and everybody's story is different and everybody has different needs. Maybe some people do need substance abuse treatments. Maybe some people do need mental health treatment. And maybe some people don't need that, but they need access to housing. They need access to getting their ID so that they can get back to work. You need When you go to an employer and you apply for a job, that employer is going to say, great, we'd love you. Where's your ID? Where's your social security card so that we can fill out our documentation? And when you don't have that, they say, there's the door. And so maybe that person, they don't need substance abuse treatment. They don't need mental health treatment. They need access to identification. They need access to their social security card, maybe their birth certificate in order to get their identification and social security card. So we work with the individual based on their current needs and what they are. And we meet those needs with the various providers we actually have on site at community court. So we will literally walk that person around and take them to Department of Health and Human Services and say, this person needs to sign up for Medicaid. This person needs SNAP benefits. We're going to take them over to Catholic Charities and say, this person needs their identification. How can we get them their ID so that they can get back to work? This person does need substance abuse treatment. We're going to connect them with Health Plan of Nevada or WellCare so that we can structure a uh, wraparound services for them. Maybe they need housing and we're going to uh, take a look at what housing options we have for them. But it's based on the individual need rather than this kind of group need of everyone in this court has substance abuse issues and therefore we have a treatment court that's going to focus on the substance abuse issues. That's simply not what we have because we have such a varied population. There are many reasons people find themselves in the cycle of homelessness and substance abuse may be one of them, but it's not the only issue. And so that's why we take this individualized approach to our population that we target and we serve. Got it. And I think it's kind of interesting that you don't meet at the courthouse. You meet at the downtown library, which is a different setting. There's no like judge up on the bench in the robes. Can you talk a little bit about what the court looks like and feels like when people show up? I haven't seen it myself, but I understand there's basically like some tables with the different providers uh, and that it doesn't feel like court. And I imagine that's on purpose. Can you talk a little bit about just what the the feel of the community court experiences? Thank you for that question, Connor. It is purposefully different. It is a alternative, a purposeful alternative to the traditional criminal justice system. We meet at the downtown library. And if you've ever been to the downtown library at 301 South Center Street, and by the way, anyone is welcome. Every Wednesday morning, we hold court from eight o'clock until we're done. Maybe it's 12 o'clock, maybe it's one o'clock, maybe it's two o'clock, depending on how many participants we have. Anyone's welcome. But if you've ever been to the downtown library, that it's this beautiful atrium of plants. And it's a calming place of, of solace that people can come in. They're immediately calmed by that. They go into this library and we hold court in the auditorium there, downstairs in the library. And 
I am not in a robe. I have either a community court polo and it says Reno Municipal Community Court on it, or maybe I'm dressed like I am now with a shirt and a little sweater or something like that. But I purposefully don't wear a robe. I want it to feel different. I don't want it to feel like traditional court. Many of the participants we have in our community court have been through the criminal justice process again and again. They repeat this cycle. And maybe they've been to jail and they've seen a judge and maybe they've been over to the traditional courthouse and they've seen the judge. Maybe they've been sentenced to community service, pay fines or go to jail. And I want it to feel completely different than that. I want it to be this welcoming environment where we are there to provide access to services for that for the individual. So we actually go a step beyond that. It's this very low key approach. No one's dressed up or anything like that. We have coffee waiting for people who want to enjoy some coffee. Sometimes I'll bring uh, donuts either from Schmitz or uh, another donut shop. And uh, we also have other snacks from uh, various places. And so they'll sit down, have a cup of coffee, have a snack and relax, and we'll uh, enter them in. We also have the Washoe County Jail that's been generous enough to provide lunches for our participants as well. And so when those lunches come... They're given a lunch and they're, uh, they're welcome to eat them in the library right there in our auditorium. And then we start the process of delivering our sense of justice, which is very different than the criminal uh, justice sense, sense of justice. And we take them and we first uh, deliver a, a CCAT. It's, a, it's an assessment tool to see what the person's needs and risks are. And so that we know what we're dealing with. And then we start taking them around to the providers that are over in the atrium area of the court courthouse, in quotes. But we have purposefully made it a different place and we have purposefully chosen that place. You know, we, uh, when we relaunched in April of, this, of last year of 2021, we started at the shelter over on Record Street. And that was a great uh, a venue for a while, but it wasn't the same as the library. The library has this real calming uh, sense about it where people, when they come to that library, are just in a different space. They're in a different mindset, and it allows us to meet those people uh, where they are rather than this kind of more amped up, I'm not sure about this, and uh, resistant approach. So that's why we meet at the library. We want it to feel different, and it does feel different. Yeah. And I've heard that a lot of people who are unhoused have had bad experiences sometimes at shelters or they have some concerns about the shelter environment. And I imagine that the library doesn't have those same kind of kind of negative connotations for some people. And they're maybe more comfortable in that setting just because they are um, new to it. They don't have the kind of associations with it as maybe a negative place the way that they might with a shelter or a courthouse. You know what I kept on hearing when we were at the um, shelter in particular over on record from our participants is that, and I heard this again and again from many participants, is that they indicated to me when, we, when I was on bench and they were in front of me, they said, this is a triggering environment for me, the entire environment, either the shelter itself or the surrounding environment. And they said, it's really difficult for me to come here. And I'm going to come here because I want the services and I like what you're doing. And we're really pleased with this, this great option you're providing us. But I want you to know it's a really triggering environment for me in particular. I've heard that from so many people that I felt it necessary to make a change. And uh, we reached out to the, to the Washoe County Library System again. It originally launched in the library, but the library wasn't open when we relaunched in April of last year. And I wanted this court relaunched. That was my mission when I was appointed uh, to the bench from the city council in January. My mission was to get community court relaunched so that we can start uh, making a dent in the lives of our unhoused population. And so we relaunched to the shelter, but 
as soon as the library system was open again, they welcomed us back with open arms and we went back there. And it's nothing to say about the shelter. We were thankful that we had that venue. We were thankful we had that option. It's just that the library offers a different uh, serenity around it that isn't that same triggering environment for our population. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is, like you said, a very beautiful space. It is full of plants. It's green and lush. And anyone who has not been into the downtown library ever or lately, you should go check out the library because it's just like a real treasure it, right in the heart of downtown Reno. So unrelated to community court, just like shout out to the library for being a beautiful space. No doubt about that. What determines what kind of cases come to you or what what people come through the community court instead of the other thing? So is it Uh, particular violations that all get funneled to community court? Is it based on the individual and whether uh, who determines kind of what comes to the community court versus the more traditional court systems or the other specialty courts? We have a we have a paradigm of violations that the police can send to community court, and it's violation based. It's not person based. We don't want to assume anything about anyone. You know, if someone has a trespassing charge, we're not going to assume that person is housed and has a place and has uh, finances and has resources that they don't need our community court. If someone is at the Believe Park and they're uh, hanging out there beyond hours or sleeping in a tent. We're going to send that person to community court. If someone has an open container of alcohol in uh, in downtown, we're going to send that person to community court. And maybe the individual might not need community court, but everyone with the particular type of citation is going to find its way to community court. So we have a list of citations, and they're the typical nuisance type crimes, the quality of life crimes that one would expect. So trespassing, urinating in public, um, sitting in line on a sidewalk, camping on the river, camping in a park without a permit, those kinds of things. Open container of alcohol, trespassing is a big one as well. Um, And we're also working with our security personnel at the casinos in terms of our trespassing violations. They're sending those, shooting those directly over to community court as well. So we have a relationship with RPD and shout out to RPD for actually engaging with this novel concept, this experiment with us. Instead of saying, no, we don't want to do it. We want traditional criminal justice system. They're saying, yeah, we'll give it a shot. We'll see what it is. They're doing that and they are are, uh, following through beautifully. They're wonderful to work with. And so this subset of violations, all misdemeanors, of course. They're the lower level misdemeanors that we typically see. They're not going to send a DUI over to community court. They're not going to send a domestic battery charge or a battery charge over to community court, but they're going to send the quality of life nuisance type crimes over to community court that typically fall within our unhoused population. And that's not to say that everyone uh, that gets them needs them. In fact, I'll tell you, some of the people that I see at community court will come up to me uh, while I'm on bench and, and they say, I'm housed. I got a job. I have health insurance. I have my ID. I love what you're doing, but I don't need it. And that's great. And that's wonderful. And I'm really grateful that, that person doesn't need our services and the, those, the, the, that time and those resources will go to someone else who actually does need them. And we'll shoot that person over to traditional court system and they can do what they want with their case. They can plead not guilty to it, set it for trial, or they can plead guilty and maybe pay some fines or do some community service. So that's how we select it. Traditionally, when it was first launched, there was a smaller subset of crimes and it was only in a small portion of the downtown enforcement area that uh, that was allowed to go to community court. Now it's expanded to the entire city. Anywhere in Reno, if uh, you're subject to this type of violation, you will be cited into community court. And then we're going to make the decision at community court whether or not uh, that case belongs in our court. Mm -hmm. What is the process for the 
I don't want to say punishment, but the requirements, like you think of court as you get a sentence or you you have to do something. In community court, it's obviously more about services, but I imagine there's some sort of requirement that people who are charged with a crime and end up in community court, uh, what does that look like? Is it fines? Is it community service? Is it just having to complete certain steps and acquire these certain resources and be stable? What goes into deciding how those cases end up? Yeah, great question. Because at the end of the day, these are still misdemeanor crimes and there's no way around it. These are, they don't turn into a different, they don't morph into a civil infraction or something like that. They are still misdemeanor crimes. They're still subject to their rights that they have. And they can say, look, I don't want community court. I want to set it for trial and I want to go to trial. And we're, they're welcome to do that. We'll shoot them over to regular court on a not guilty plea and set it for trial, give them their rights and, and make sure that case proceeds over that way. Uh, if those, uh, if an individual does want to go to community court and does want to participate in a community court, like I said, it's still a misdemeanor and we still need to sentence on this uh, crime. But it looks completely different. My focus is on access to resources and follow through with the providers. And that's the big component of community court. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But the sentence structure looks like this. I'm going to order community service. I'm going to order maybe 24 hours of community service, but I'm going to suspend that community service obligation. In fact, I tell people this many times a day when I sentence them, I say, I don't want you doing community service. That's not my goal here. My goal is to never impose community service because I use community service as a punitive measure, as a sanction for not following through with what I order. And so maybe I'll use community service as a sanction. But what I hope to do is simply suspend that community service obligation for a period of six months on conditions that they obey all laws that they consume no alcohol or drugs while on that suspended sentence. And then the good stuff, that they follow through with their appointment. Maybe we've made them an appointment with WellCare. Maybe we've made them an appointment to go fill out some paperwork at Crossroads. Maybe we've made them an appointment for other places. I want them to follow through with those appointments so that when they come back to me on a status hearing, they will have done X, Y, Z as I've ordered it because that's what's going to help them. Maybe they're staying at the CARES campus and I say, that's great. That's wonderful, but that's not enough. Like the CARES campus is a shelter, but they have access to more. And so I want you to reach the more. I want you to work with a caseworker. I want you to work with a case manager that's going to get you connected with some transitional housing, temporary housing, and then a permanent housing solution. That's what I'm looking for. And that's what I'm ordering. That's what I'm trying to do is work on the follow through that some are better at than others. And this population, look, it's a difficult population. Sometimes it's a service resistant population. Sometimes not. Sometimes they are like all in. I want these services. What can I get? What can I have access to? But the follow through is the big key to this. So community service is the sentence structure that I typically use and then suspending that and make them get them following through with those conditions to meet their needs. Mm -hmm. What kind of bottlenecks do you run into with services? Because I know housing is obviously the big one in Reno, where it's very easy to say, oh, yeah, we want to get you into housing. But when there is no housing, and I, that's an issue around the CARES campus, it's a, just in general, there's a lot of a lot of talking about getting people into housing and how that's a priority. But we run into this issue of there literally is nowhere to go a lot of times. So not just with housing, but in general, do you run into any issues with not necessarily people unwilling to get into these kind of services, but do you run into challenges with actually providing some of these services that these people need? Of course we do. 
And housing is the service that we run into problems with. We don't run into issues with substance abuse treatment. We don't run into issues with mental health treatment and any of our other uh, treatment options. We run into issues with housing because there's a lack of affordable housing. And so I, I do my best and we do our best to get access to those, those services. But there is a way. And I think people need to know that there is a way. People come to me, participants come to me all the time at community court. And I say, I want you to get your name on some lists. I want you to get your name on Carvel Housing, Sage Housing, uh, Siegel Suites, Reno Housing Authority, whatever it is, I want you to get your name on the list. And they, the immediate retort is, those, those lists are too long. I say, okay, how many choices do you have right now? None, zero, I can stay at CARES. Okay, when it's not full, you can stay at CARES and that's great. So if you put your name on some lists, when those lists come to fruition, maybe six months from now, maybe nine months from now, I don't know when they're going to come up. How many options are you going to have then? Well, I'm going to have some options then. Now you have something. Now you have something to work with. Now you can say no to this, yes to this. I like this option. I don't like that option. There are options out there, but you have to engage with those options. That's mm -hmm. the thing. So people definitely, I definitely agree that there aren't enough options out there and I would love there to be more options, but that's not to say that, that they don't exist in Reno. They do exist if you engage with them. What I do is I order people to place their name on those lists. And I give example after example, because we have many people who at first being reluctant come later and say, my, my name came up. I'm shooting. I'm going over to Carville. I got a place. I'm going over to Hope Springs with Hope. I'm going over to Sage Apartments. I finally, my list, my name came up on the list. And I say, congratulations. Aren't you glad you put your name on that list six months ago? And they say, yes. Thank you for forcing me to put uh, my name on that list. So I get it. But if you follow through with what we're ordering and what we're constructing here, you can make your way to real housing solutions that are going to work for you long term. That's great. So this is a new, new-ish thing, right? My understanding is it started 2019 and then stopped for a while during the pandemic and then started back up again. Can you talk a little bit about just how this community court came into existence, when the idea started and how it became a thing? And then you're new to it as of this last year, right? So your experience of kind of uh, taking over the community court. Can you talk a little bit about both of those, how it started and then your involvement in the last year or so? You got it. So community court uh, started in 2019. It was actually envisioned in 2018. And a shout out to Judge Tammy Riggs, who stood this on its feet originally. Originally, it was something called the um, High Intensity and Supervision Court or something like that. It was the His Court. And it dealt with the same population. And it targeted supervised intensive services at this population. Eventually, it uh, morphed into what we now know as the community court. There are community courts all across this country. The first one started in downtown in Manhattan. There's one in Red Hook, New York. There's one in Washington. There's one in Oregon. You, you name it. They're all around the country. And they're an answer. They're a, an alternative answer to the traditional criminal justice system. Community court started because every judge, every prosecutor, every defense attorney in the traditional criminal justice system dealing with these kind of medicant type offenses, misdemeanor offenses, saw these same people running through the system again and again. When I was a prosecutor at the city attorney's office, I was there for 12 years, we would see the same individuals being arrested. We would see them in jail and the judges were always confounded. What do we do? 
what do we do with this person? I could just time serve him, get him out of jail today. He'll go back and or she'll go back into that life. Mostly male population, but there are uh, female as well in what we're dealing with. And they'll go right back into the population and they'll we'll see him again. You can put them in jail for six months, but when they get out, they're going to, there's nothing will have changed for that person and they'll get out and they'll continue to reoffend in, in this way. And so what's the answer? No, none of the judges, frankly, had an answer. Prosecution didn't have an answer and defense didn't have an answer. We just kind of cycled them through the system, hoping that someday someone would come up with an answer. Community court is an answer to this cycling through the criminal justice system. It is a welcome, I think, alternative to this criminal justice system because it does something. It, it, it adds value to this person's life. It changes this person's life in such a fundamental way that they no longer have to process through the system. Now this person has a way to maybe get a job, and many do. Many actually go to work after they get their IDs, they get their social security cards, and now they're on the roll. Now they're on the path. Maybe some need real substance abuse treatment. And we get them connected with that substance abuse treatment because that's what's going on. Maybe a subset of this population needs to engage in mental health services. That's what we do is we engage them with those services. That's why community court was created. It was an answer to this cyclic pattern of churning through the criminal justice system. So it was uh, it was enacted by Judge Riggs in 2019. It started in March of 2019 and it did shut down. It shut down with the pandemic like all of us shut down with the pandemic. I believe it shut down in March when the entire court system shut down in March of 2020. Interestingly enough, though, UNR did a study on community court during that period of time. Uh, They did a study on the uh, incidence of those types of crimes in the city of Reno and on the failure to appear rate and see if there were any, uh, um, was any improvement. Sure enough, they found statistically significant improvement in both those uh, measure, in both those measures, those types of crimes, how many they were cited and the failure to appear rate. So there was success. There was measurable success. And then the court shut down and it shut down for a long time. And then there was no one to stand it back up on its feet. We were kind of coming out of COVID in an, enough that we could start reopening a little bit because Judge Riggs was elevated to the district court. She ran for district court Judge Palaha's seat and she got that seat. And then the city council appointed in January. So there, there was this period of time where nobody was standing that thing back up on its feet. One of the reasons I put in for the appointment in Department 4 of the Reno Municipal Court is specifically so that I can be uh, part of community court. I believe in community court. I think it's a, a good investment of our resources. And I wanted to be a part of getting that thing back up on its feet, getting it rolling again, and uh, being involved in that process. My experience with community court is that it is a fabulous court. And, and I hear every day from police to sheriff's deputies, to providers, to participants or defendants who come into the court and participate in our court. Thank you. Thank you for having this court. It's a great way to do something different that actually is making an impact here in the city of Reno. And you know what? Not enough people know about it. And that's why I'm so happy that you're having this podcast with me is because we're doing all this great work. We have these great successes. We have many great successes, great success stories, and nobody knows about them. 
the community, rightfully so, natural human nature is to focus on the problem, look at the problem and say, oh, that's a problem and name it. But what do you do about it? What's the solution? And then I want people to know there is at least we're part of the solution. We're not the solution. We're not going to solve the entire issue, but we are part of the solution. And I want people to know that there are people working at this. It's not just going to spin out of control and we're not just letting it spin out of control because these are people's lives. These are human beings that uh, need to be treated with dignity and respect. And that's how they're treated in our court. And I think that speaks volumes. And that's why people are motivated to actually follow through with what we're doing in community court. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of questions about justice systems and policing and things, because I know that in recent years, there's been much more attention placed on our incarceration rates and recidivism. And there's, you know, a whole conversation about defunding police and what our, our police and justice system should be doing. And it feels like community court uh, feels like a response to some of that changing attitude around policing and incarceration and crime in general. Do you feel that way? Is this kind of a response to changing social attitudes around the justice system? No, you know what? This predates this movement toward uh, what you're talking about, defunding the police, about kind of recreating the police in, a, in the view of social services. It predates that um, because community courts have been around for quite some time now. It, it's more a response to, it is a response, and I will give you a full-throated answer to this. It is a response to the fact that the traditional criminal justice system is not built for what we're dealing with. So if you're dealing with an unhoused person, that person is going to commit various crimes that we call crimes because we call them crimes, right? These are not uh, malum and say crimes where murder and these, they're crimes because they're bad. These are crimes because we've said these are crimes, open container of alcohol in public, trespassing, sitting in line on a sidewalk, camping in the park, those kinds of things. And so the, our system, like I already spoke to, is just not built, our criminal justice system isn't built to handle that population. And so that's why you see this cycling through. What do you do? There's no answer. Let's continue to cycle them through. And some people look at that the criminal justice system is kind of where mental health issues and substance abuse issues and crime intersect. That's for sure. And it's also where the issues related to being unhoused also intersect. And some people might say, look at that and say, it's a problem and I don't want to have anything to deal with it. Let's keep on cycling them through the pro the system. There's no answer. I look at that as an opportunity. I look at this intersection being unhoused and then having a crime being substance abuse and being and committing a crime. I look at that as an opportunity. And that's, I think, the different paradigm that you're speaking to is that we are offering social services to these individuals, not criminal justice system as we traditionally know it. So is it a response to kind of what we've been seeing? No, but I think it's an answer to what the criminal justice system is traditionally built for, and it's not built for this population. What kind of responses have you gotten from people? I try to follow all of the different opinions across the entire political spectrum. And I would imagine that there are probably people on one side who have a tough on crime approach, who are maybe critical of the community court for not being tough enough. And then I imagine that on the other side, there are probably people who say, 
oh, this is just policing in a in a different outfit, that it's still the same kind of um, demonization or, or focusing on homeless people. I'm sure that there is criticism from both sides on this particular approach. What have you heard from both sides of that argument? And how do you respond to people who are critical of the community court either for being too soft on crime or for still being uh, like part of the criminal justice system as a whole and critical of it for still being part of that. So can you just talk a little bit about what responses you've gotten and and what you think about those two different arguments? I haven't gotten a lot of responses from detractors. There's not a lot of people uh, calling up and telling me or anyone saying, hey, I think you guys are doing it wrong. I think you guys are taking being too soft on crime. These people are criminals. They've committed crimes. You should take a hard approach. If I hear that, my response is, let's look back 50 years. Let's look back within our history and see what the traditional criminal justice system has done for us in that regard. Okay? We can put them in jail. They like jail. People love jail. And so I say, okay, let's see what, let's look back. I mean, I've, we could look back 12 years because that's how long I was with the city being a prosecutor. And we can look beyond that. And I'll say, you know, anecdotally, uh, I've seen the jail. I've seen what that does. It does nothing. It does no good. There's no real value in that other than it keeps that person out of the streets and stopping committing that crime for that period of time. But once you release that person, nothing new, nothing's changed. And so we're here to offer an alternative in terms of giving something that actually makes a fundamental change in that person's life so that there isn't that same criminogenic process in that person's mind, that they actually can stop the cycle of recidivism of these nuisance-type crimes. That's the value of community court. Mm -hmm. So that's my response to the detractors that say, that's eh, you're not tough on crime. It's really, uh, uh, you're just basically giving them a place to get a cup of coffee and a donut. I get it. I get it. And I get that sense of justice. I understand that. I mean, I was a prosecutor for many years. I get justice. I understand. But I think you have to look at justice squarely. And I think you have to say, okay, justice for these types of crimes, I get it. But let's look at the level of crimes we're talking about. And then let's look at what the answer is and what works and what doesn't work. The interesting question that you pose is, what about the people who say, you're still part of the criminal justice system? I mean, shoot, I'm still putting people on suspended sentences, right? I'm still imposing community service obligations. And when people don't follow through, you better believe I make them do community service. In fact, it's same day community service. We have a community service supervisor as part of community court, and we'll take them out to a site. We uh, work with the safe and uh, clean team with Reno and uh, the clean and safe team, excuse me. We work with Reno Public Works and uh, with other projects, and we get them out there doing community service so that as a punitive uh, measure, so that they learn to follow through. We want that uh, follow through. Now, the question is, is, but you're just part of the criminal justice system as usual. But the thing is, I think that we provide an answer that social services alone cannot provide because there are social service agencies out there. And so how many uh, members of this population are accessing those services on their own? Very few, very few. Some will go to these services and access them for a little while. And then they say, no, I'm good. I want to get back to drinking or I want to get back to just living on the streets and I want to get back to X, Y, Z. But when there's a suspended sentence hanging over their head, now there's some teeth. Now there's some 
external motivation that the court provides that can actually get follow through with the social service component that the social service agencies simply can't do on them uh, on their own. We hear from the providers, look, they've dealt with this population for years and they say, we've seen them, we've seen them, we've seen them, we've seen them. But now there's a, a, a little bit of, there's a little bit of, we've seen them and they're, they're, they're doing it. They're working on it. They're going to life changes and they're staying there. They're working with well care and they're actually staying there and they're being temporarily housed with well care with some transitional housing coming up and some maybe more permanent housing solutions. That's what the community court provides. And yep, it's part of the traditional criminal justice system in that regard. But I think that's the value added to just social services left on their own devices. Mm-hmm a lot of the complaints about the criminal justice system is the overly punitive nature, the kind of one track approach, like funnel straight into jail kind of thing. And this seems like, even though it is part of the broader criminal justice system, that it is not leaning into the bad parts of it, the way that a lot of people seem to be concerned about criminal justice in general. At least that's my read of it. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And you know what? It's timely because there's a case out of Idaho, Boise, Idaho, Martin V. Boise, that has really kind of looked at people who are unhoused and whether or not police can take action, when they can take action against this person for cases like sitting in line on a sidewalk, camping in a park, those kinds of things, when there really aren't shelter places for these individuals. And so there does have to be this alternative approach of, okay, we're not going to do that. We're going to feed you into the community court so that you can access those services instead of... um, treating you like a criminal, we're going to treat you like a human being and just set you up with these resources. That's the beauty of what we what we offer at Community Court. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned sitting in line on a sidewalk a couple times, which I'm not that familiar with sit-lie laws and what they are in Reno. But can you just talk a little bit about what the laws are around the sitting or lying or being in public spaces? Is that intended specifically to get homeless people into the community court system? Do you think those are good laws? I always hear a lot of criticism of those type of laws from people that are more on the activist side. But then I also hear a lot of complaints from people who talk about loitering and just like a presence in downtown that they don't want, which again, is public space. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are around laws specifically around just being in a place. So the public camping, the sit lie, those kind of things. Yeah, those are interesting laws, but they predate, I think, homelessness in general. I, I, I think that they're laws that they want to keep sidewalks clean for ingress and egress. I think they want people to freely uh, use the sidewalks. And, you know, I think there's always a balance. I think you're absolutely right. And you speak to people not liking those those laws because they do tend to be associated or connected with the unhoused population. And that's true. I mean, I don't tend to myself or you don't tend to be on the sidewalk where we're restricting access to people that are walking on the sidewalk. It is tends to be the unhoused population. That said, I want to be clear here that there are and there have been, and it's been my experience, that if RPD or any uh, police agency has an individual before them that is violating that law, they will cite the person, period, whether it's open container of alcohol, whether it's being in a park after hours, it is not only about the unhoused population. I've prosecuted and been a part of many citations or arrests for being in park after hours that have nothing to do with whether a person's housed or not. And so these are generally enforced statutes. 
Are they enforced in greater numbers against the unhoused population? Probably because that's who's downtown, that's who is on the sidewalks generally. But is that to say that uh, police officers not going to cite that same individual or another individual for doing the exact same behavior? No, they're going to cite everyone. That's why what I said earlier on is we will get citations into community court for these exact same incidents that they don't need our services because they are not homeless. They have a place to live. They have all the resources they want. They were just uh, doing committing this crime, wrong place, wrong time, and they sent over to the traditional criminal justice system. So I get it. I get the complaints. I completely understand that. And there's a balance. There's a balance between uh, businesses, I suppose, in the city of Reno and the ability of citizens to walk freely around. And yet, you know, that we have a uh, this lack of, of resources and housing thus far. And so there's this population, unfortunately, that is subject to citations like that. So like you mentioned, you were selected by the city council to this judgeship last year, but you previously worked as a you know deputy city attorney. Can you talk about kind of the transition from being a, a city attorney into this judge role and kind of how your responsibilities have shifted and just how you've enjoyed your time as a judge so far? I love being a judge. Look, I am all about public service. And if you looked at my resume, which you don't have, you would see it's a resume full of public service in some regard, whether that's being a services coordinator at a child abuse treatment agency to investigating lawyers at the State Bar of California to uh, working at the attorney general's office, helping the the greater good of the uh, state of Nevada to being a prosecutor with the city attorney's office here in Reno. And that's been my focus of my career is adding uh, value to the society in general and being a public servant. That's what I am. That's what I do. And I think that's my calling, frankly. And now I get to do that as a judge. And uh, frankly, that's the highest calling of a public servant. In my opinion, I get to be in this role of public trust. And I hope I've, I've honored that role. Uh, I, I, I'm humbled uh, by being selected by the city council. And I continue to be humbled every day that I get to be in this role. It is a different role, let me tell you, than any other job I've done as an attorney. And because you have to take advocacy out of it, you know, it's no longer a criminal prosecutor or a defense attorney advocating for one side or another. It's a judge now as a fact finder and a person that delivers justice. It is a completely different role. And I, I was taken aback by that shift. Um, and on the bench, it was, uh, it was an interesting shift, but it was a shift that I knew was coming. I spoke to another judge here in Reno who went from prosecutor to judge. He was also a, a defense attorney for many years in either uh, here or in, I, th- I think he was a defense attorney as well back in, in Phoenix. I know he was a prosecutor there. And he, he indicated to me, he said, it's really interesting. It's a real shift from being prosecutor or defense attorney where you're advocating for something to when you're judge, it just becomes all clear that there are people advocating for their positions, but you're the one that's going to make the decision on this matter and you're the one trusted to make that decision and deliver what you think is just. So that's the interesting shift here. And the other interesting thing is I love having the ability to deliver change and deliver uh, something of value to our entire community. 
that's what community court offers in particular. Sure, I offer that on the traditional bench every day as well. And, you know, for those that aren't ready for treatment courts, that aren't ready to change their lives if they have substance abuse or mental health issues, traditional criminal justice system is here for them. And uh, whether that means jail time or community service or fines or probation, certainly we deliver that if necessary. But I really love the alternative approach to the criminal justice system when people are ready for it. And I love being a part of that change. You were appointed last year, but this is an elected position and it is an election year for you. So have you ever run for elected office before? And kind of what are you expecting from that? I don't even know what goes into campaigning as a judge or what people are looking for when they vote for judges. So can you tell me a little bit about your expectation or what you think about running for elected office? Sure. It's something that I wasn't sure I was going to do in my life. You know, I'm a million miles away from my original career. I was a professional musician for uh, many years down in LA, in Los Angeles. I was a classically trained bassoonist. And that was my career for a while. And then it kind of morphed over time into the circuitous route of circuitous route of being a judge. And I always looked at being a judge as I would love to do that, but oh no, oh no, I'm gonna what if I have to run and I'm gonna have to run? And I've always kind of it was a push pull. And then I said, you know what? I wanna do it and I wanna run for, I wanna do uh, department four because I believe in community court. For me, this is all about community court. I could have waited. I could have put in before to be a part of another treatment court, or I could have waited to maybe be a part of another treatment court. But I believed in community court. I believed in what that offered, and that's why I put in. Now I've got to run. And uh, so I'm running in March. I've got to put in in March. At this point, I don't have any known opponents. I've thankfully heard from both sides of the bar, defense and prosecution, that uh, they love having me on the bench, that I'm, uh, you know, I take a reasoned approach to things. Everyone's welcome in the courtroom. I think I offer a very fair playing field. The, uh, the um, scales of justice are fairly balanced in my court. And I think they both sides feel that and they feel uh, they feel welcome to my court and they feel like it's a place that that they can uh, that justice, real justice can be delivered. And uh, so I've heard from both sides of the bar, thankfully, that they say, we love you on the bench, judge. And uh, and hopefully there won't be an opponent. If there is, there is. So I'm ready for the campaign and I'm gearing up for a campaign and I uh, uh, will be doing that in the event that I do get an opponent and I will campaign as vigorous as anyone else has run a campaign and I'll uh, take a full-throated approach uh, to running a campaign as well. And that includes everything that everyone does, signs, commercials, and meeting the public. And that's the big uh, thing. And I think I think the public deserves to know who's who's their judge, who their judge is. And I would love to meet the people, frankly. And I think that's the best part of campaigning is, and even if I don't get an opponent, I want to meet people. I want to go to the doors and I want to say, hi, I'm Judge Chris Hazlett-Stevens. And let me tell you about who I am. Let me tell you about what I'm about. And uh, let me tell you who you have as the uh, judge of the Reno Municipal Court Department for, because I think people deserve to know who is part of their city. Yeah, thankfully, I think that for nonpartisan type roles, judge roles, things like that, there's less of the kind of contentious, partisan, angry, campaigny stuff. So even if you have an opponent, hopefully you won't have to deal with what we think of as the the downsides of traditional campaigning. No doubt about that. And I'm not into the downsides of typical campaigning. You know, as a judge, I think we're kind of above bar. We have to we have to be clean about this kind of stuff. It is nonpartisan, and we're bound by the code of judicial conduct. I'm certainly bound by that as a judge, and uh, so there. 
by nature a clean campaign. And so that's what I would t- intend to run. There's nothing dirty, nothing salacious. The, there's no reason for that. It's just about the, it's about who you want, who you are and who the public wants in that role serving this population. And you know what? I, it's interesting that um, in community court in particular, and I keep on going back to community court, I think the judge is is a critical factor of that. And I think some are well-suited for that, including me. You know, I've come to this position with 29 different jobs in my life. I've counted them up. I counted it up for my sons. They asked me how many jobs I've had one day. Like I said, I was a musician and I've done various things. I've been a bartender. I've been a janitor. You know, you name it. I've been a mechanic. And I think that adds value to the people that are in front of me because they trust me. They actually say, I trust you because you've been where I am and I have been where they are. When they say, hey, I have a janitor job, I say, that's nothing to turn your nose at. I've been a janitor myself and I've cleaned toilets and that's a humbling experience to clean someone's toilet. So welcome to it. If it pays you a paycheck, it's a good job and don't turn your nose at it. So Mm -hmm. let's get you in that role or let's get you to something else if you don't want what you're doing. I've had that job. And I think that concrete, the concreteness of who I am, I, I am not a pie in the sky kind of person. I didn't take the traditional route of high school, college, law school, lawyer. That's not what I did at all. And I think it's my path here that gives me credibility with this population. And uh, I think that's why I'm a good fit for this job, in particular, this job. Yeah, that's great. What do you want to see in the future of the community court? So we talked about it being new in just the last couple of years, but hopefully it will continue on long into the future. So how do you hope that the community court will grow or develop in the future? Great question. What are the plans for it? Yeah, more donuts. (laughs) Um, Here's how I really envision community court. So I love what we have right now. We have a great core group of providers that show up every Wednesday and And I am so happy that they're there every Wednesday to help our population. But here's what I'm thinking, and here's what we are thinking as a group. It's not just me thinking this, and and I'm not going to take credit for it. This is a group project. These are prosecutor, defense, the person in charge of community court, Carissa, that set this up for you. This is Veronica who helped in this. These are the people, these are the minds behind community court, by the way. I'm just the shiny guy that that comes in and says, hey, you're going to do this. The real nuts and bolts is the people uh, like Carissa and Veronica and the defense attorney, uh, Kathy Burning, and the prosecutor, Angie Ginoli, who actually work this thing from the ground up, and we appreciate them. Now, what do we want to do? I think we need to have on-site treatment. I think that's what we're going to do next is because the follow-through, like I said, has been the issue and it continues to be the issue. We're contemplating actually having people meet Joshua, our case manager, at a certain spot so that he can transport them to their appointments. We want them to meet their appointments and we don't want any obstacles in their way. Sometimes bus passes aren't enough. I give bus passes all the time. Here's a bus pass. Here's a bus pass. I want him or someone like him to say, okay, meet me here. This group is going to meet me here. We're going to go over to WellCare. We're going to be, uh, go down to Nevada Urban Indians down on McCarran. We're going to do that. That's what I want. The other thing I want that I just said is on-site treatment. So we're going to hopefully partner with and connect with a treatment provider that's going to provide actual on-site treatment. Maybe it's going to be a treatment, treatment readiness group. Maybe it's going to be an intensive outpatient group that we're going to meet weekly on Wednesdays at community court. But I think that needs to be a component. And so there's no in-between. There's no time in-between for something to go south. So when they're there in front of me and I have my hot little hands on this person, we're going to say, 
you ready? Go right over to that uh, building right over there and go get yourself involved in that group. And uh, that's what we want because that's what works is the immediacy of it. It's the waiting game that uh, seems to have people fall off the rails. So that's how I envision community court. I also want the Reno police officer at community court with us for staffing. I think that's important because those are the eyes on the ground. Those are the boots on the ground. And those are the people, especially with the downtown enforcement team who can say, Hey, judge, this guy's doing great. This woman over here, she's not doing as well as you think she is. She needs some more help. We need that feedback. And I would love that a, a police officer with us staffing saying, here's what we can do. And here's the eyes on the ground. So that's the other thing I have uh, planned for community court in the future, near future. You mentioned the court. It's not always on people's radar, which is understandable. I mean, I think people who are not regularly interacting with the court system are not paying that much attention to what's going on in our local criminal justice and court system. Uh, understandably, would have no idea of kind of what is happening in this world. So how can people, let's say, besides listening to this podcast and learning all about it, stay informed on what's happening with the community court? How would you like people to continue to get more information about how this works and what they can do to participate in it or those kind of things. Like what is the public relations or connecting with the typical person part of community court and how can people stay informed? Thank you. So part of that is our responsibility. And I think that's what we need to work on, frankly. So we worked, uh, we've uh, have an Instagram account now and we're posting on Instagram. We have followers on Instagram and so we're posting it on there for anyone who uses social media. I am not a social media native. That's not my thing, but I'm certainly working on it because I have to. And so we have that component for those that are social media savvy. We're going to build out a website as well so that uh, people can access that with, with the website. And then I think we need to do more things like this, Connor. We need to have with, with podcasts or media PSAs, maybe something like that, so that we can reach out to the general community and say, here we are, here's what we're doing. And if you need more information or want more information, here's how to access that information. And I invite people every day to community court. I, I want people to come. I want people to see what we do. I want them to see the operation and see how incredible this operation is. And the other thing I do uh, to people is I actually will go walk where our population is and, I'll, and uh, people who want to engage with me, they know me, people know me. And they'll say, I'll say, hey, if you want to go over to community court, you don't need a site, by the way. You do not need a citation to make your way to community court. We offer services only. You don't need a criminal charge to come over to community court. And I say, if you want to access our services over at community court, please join us. We're there every Wednesday morning. And I want you to uh, gain access to those services. And that's what I do as well, is I welcome anyone any member of the public to come to community court on Wednesday mornings so that they can see what we have uh, coming there and going there. And I bet they would be quite impressed by the sight of what we have. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk about it. I knew nothing about it when Carissa reached out to me. And I've been so impressed by just the idea of the community court and now hearing more about how it actually functions. It's great. I'm really glad to learn a lot about it. And hopefully listeners who didn't know anything about community court can come away from this conversation feeling a little more, I guess, proud or optimistic or, or good about what we're doing around the court system and providing services, especially. I think that being the focus is really important because people tend to have these negative views of courts and criminal justice and think of them only as punitive, which you mentioned is part of the system, but the focus on 
services and resources. I'm really glad to see that is a priority of the community court and that is available for everyone on Wednesday morning. So that's really great. Thank you so much for coming on the show to explain a little bit about it and talk about your history with it. Thank you, Connor. I really appreciate you having me on this podcast. It's a wonderful podcast. I've looked at some other stuff you've done here, and I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about community court. And I think optimism is the best word for that. We're all optimistic about what we can do here. And so thank you for this venue. I appreciate it. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Renoites. And thank you to Judge Christopher Hazlett-Stevens for coming on the show to tell me all about the community court. Really exciting to learn about this program. Great that we have options outside of the traditional criminal justice system. And I was glad to learn about it. If you enjoyed this episode or any other, please do me a favor and let people know. I am really excited about this podcast. I'm enjoying season two so much. I've had some great guests already and more great guests to come. But I want to make sure that everyone who lives in town, who listens to podcasts, knows that Reno Whites exists and can check it out. I feel like I would hate for people who would value these conversations to miss out on them because they don't know about the show. So tell your friends, tell your family, post on social media, all that fun stuff. And if you have a moment to leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts, that also helps people find the show. Thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate you. See you next week.